Hello, everyone, and welcome to the final episode of the Polygonal Sunrise. As you can probably tell, we're doing something a little different for the finale here. Uh, usually we have an, an edited and a scripted version of the show that I release uh, every week, but I thought we'd do something a little special for the finale of this program. Uh, so today I'm joined by some very good friends of mine, uh, and we're going to discuss a particular topic that I've thrown at them. Uh, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Joining me today is Mike Connors, an assistant news editor and host of the Collegian News Hour for the Massachusetts Daily Collegian, and is also a frequent scriptwriter for Game Ranks. Mike, thanks for joining me. Thanks. Yes. Also joining me is Christian Buckley, the founder of JoyClicks on YouTube and the creator of several podcasts, including Excelsior and My First Mod. Hello. Yes. Thank you guys for joining me. Thanks for having us, Jack. Yeah, yes. I'm happy to be here. Yes, Christian, you have uh, contributed to the Polygonal Sunrise once before, I have. or once or twice. Mm hmm Mike, this is your first time on the program. I'm polit polygonal sunrise virgin. Over yeah, here. Hey, well, not anymore, baby. We're <laughs> <laughs> we're getting you in here. Hopping right in. All right. So here's the topic I thought I'd throw at you guys. So, this is something that I think about a lot. What are the games that you guys love, but feel like they don't get the credit they deserve? And I'm gonna say that this can be very open ended, and you can make the case for a game that you love and that you don't feel like it got enough credit. Mm -hmm. Even if maybe when it re released, it was critically acclaimed. Okay. But maybe nowadays people forget about it. Uh, maybe people prefer the sequels to certain games that you love. It could be anything that you can make a case for. Um, and I think we're going to go person by person. Um, if you want, I can go first. Uh, if anyone has a burning desire to go first, then you guys can go first. Do you guys have a preference? Not really. Okay. Go first. All right. You want me to go first? Okay. So we're going to do three games here. One of them is going to be an honorable mention. Two of them is going to be more in-depth. So I'm going to go with my honorable mention first. It's a game called From Dust. Have you ever heard of it? That is a foreign title to me. Okay. Mike? Something about it sounds familiar, but I don't know. Okay. So this is a game that released in 2011. Okay. Uh, designed by Eric Chani. Never heard of him. And developed by Ubisoft Montpellier. Um, it was for Microsoft Windows, PlayStation Network, and Xbox Live Arcade. And this was, again, 2011. This was a summer of arcade game. Okay. Yeah. Um, and let me describe the gameplay to you. It's a, it's a little weird. So you control... It's a god game. So you control this god called the Breath. And you have this... Yeah, so you I have I remember this, this. Okay. Okay, so you have this ability to manipulate earth, water, and lava. Basically, like, you suck up earth and, like, build bridges for... Um, you have these villagers, and their goal is basically to spread across these different islands in different missions mm -hmm. and reclaim these totem poles that are, like, important to their um, their village, I guess. And each totem pole has a certain ability, like, there'll be tsunamis that come, and one, cert one totem pole will, like, give you the power to, like, reflect tsunamis coming at them. Uh, there'll be, like, volcano eruptions, and uh, some totem poles will give you the power to, like, block them from like volcano eruptions um and it's just like a super interesting game to okay. me and i played so much of this and it got probably like around it probably has like around a six or a seven i would say on metacritic something like that so people liked it but didn't love it okay and i thought this game was like incredible it's like an rpg no it is like imagine like every it's like a mission based so imagine you start a mission and your goal is to like reclaim all these totem poles on a different specific island. 
um, and you're faced with different challenges. So, like, one mission may be, like, full of tsunamis. And, like, you have to, like, work under a time constraint to get your people to these totem poles for tsunamis. Like, there, you have to, like, basically, like, build bridges and pathways. Basically manipulate the island so that you can get some people from one area to the island to the next. Interesting. And it's really, it's, like, a really interesting game. But I feel like it didn't really get the love it deserved. Like, was it critically acclaimed when it came out? It was, like, it, like I said, it was probably had, like, a six or a seven, I would say. Um, because I wasn't sure if that was just a rating that happened over, like, the past eight years. Since you said this came out, what, 2011? This is 2011. So some people are giving it some eights. Um, Destructoid gave it a 5.5, but they're usually pretty low on the scale of things. Um, IGN gave it an 8.5. That was kind of on the higher end of things. PC Gamer gave it a 73. Um, but this game kind of, like, like you guys... Maybe you heard of it once. Right? Yeah, I think I. So it's like a tr- it's a tribal looking yes aesthetic. Yeah, and it's like top down isometric kind of top down. So it's it's in the line with something like a maybe like a Pikmin. Like you're managing mm-hmm. a troop of like real time stuff, and you have to accomplish a goal. Yes, something like that. Okay. Yeah, I remember this. Yeah, it is just like so out there. I feel similar to like Civ or like sort of. Okay. So Civ is more strategy based and i guess there's some strategy to this game um but that is focused like item management and all that this is very i guess this is more just straight up strategy where get people from point a to point b with a lot of obstacles coming at you okay, okay. Yeah. i don't know are I, you a fan of, sh- of uh, like civ and stuff like that um i've played empire from total war okay um and that's kind of about it i've I never really delved into civ you like civ though right mike yeah well i played like one game like Really, in my youth. Yeah. Uh, so it's been a while. Yeah, yeah. So I haven't played any of the newer ones, mm-hmm. like Civ Five. But yeah. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Are you a Civ guy? Not really, no. Mm-hmm. I'm interested by that genre, but I've never invested in a game like that. Okay. I feel like that's a game you definitely have to spend yeah. and sink, like, yeah, definitely for hundreds sure. of hours into. Um, yeah, so that's my honorable mention. I think it's a really cool game. I spent a lot of time with this game. I would have loved it a lot more if it had a like, building mechanic, if you could, like, kind of build your own island. That'd be cool. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that was that was it for me. That I got all the achievements on that game. Nice. I'm a big achievement hunter slash trophy whore. Um, so, yeah, that's it for From Dust. My, one of my first choices for the more in-depth discussion that we're going to get into. Uh, this is a 2003 classic. It's a licensed game. Simpsons Hit and Run. Oh my okay. god. Okay. Okay, yeah. Let's get into it. So this is developed by Radical Entertainment, published by Vivendi Universe Universal Games. It's for GameCube, PS2, Xbox, Microsoft Windows. Hell yeah, it is. So this game is awesome. And this game for a young lad growing up with a PS2 was that this was my Grand Theft Auto. Me too. And this was so I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons as a kid. I was one of those kids. Same. But for some reason, I was allowed to have this video game. And boy, howdy, did I play the crap out of this game. Because this is so much fun. Like, one of my favorite games growing up, it's absolutely hilarious. And I think to this day, it's still one of the best licensed games. It's pretty good. I remember, yeah, I loved this game too as a kid. Mm -hmm. I couldn't have GTA. I I had some pretty strict content rules as a kid. Yeah. But yeah, this game was just crazy for me because it was an open world i could drive around in cars that was like the only game i wanted to play as a kid open world stuff um the simpsons humor in there was really good 
I love that you could have different characters and each character had their own unique cars yeah, and definitely. vehicles and Bart had like the the spaceship go-kart yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. There were so many cool secrets. And yeah, it was really it was just really solid. I actually uh picked it up probably like 2 years ago mm-hmm. to see if it held up. A little grody, but it's still I'm, fun. I'm sure it's not yeah. the best these days. Have a fun Mike? game. This is this is a game that I remember uh playing with my cousin. Yeah. Uh, when my aunt used to watch me as a young child, right, and it was like I never, I didn't have a console at the time, mm-hmm. so this is like one of the first like games that I played like a lot of with my cousin. So uh, that nostalgia aspect isn't lost on me. Yeah, but from what I remember, like it's just a goofy GTA. It is such a goofy GTA, and that's yeah. so much fun. I love this game. Um, yeah, I like I played so much of this game, and like, honestly, yeah, just driving around. This was like one of the first games where. For me, as a kid at that time, I wasn't allowed to play GTA. Of course, mm. I felt like the freedom to do things. Yeah, like this game, and I was I was gonna talk about Jack too, but th- these two games, for me, like gave you that sense of freedom that I wasn't really used to at it the time. Scratched that GTA itch for a, a young. It did. A young lad. It it definitely yeah. did. It definitely has that. There's a lot of GTA in this game for sure, um, and I definitely appreciate that about this game. That's a good pull. Yeah, um, I was I was just like I was thinking of doing a PS2 game, and mm-hmm. I was like, "What did I pop? Oh, Simpsons Hit and Run." Yeah, definitely for sure. Uh, all right, let's get on to the meat and potatoes. Call of Duty: World at War. Okay, nice. So, this is my favorite Call of Duty. Interesting. Released in 2008. Yep, released in 2008. Developed by Treyarch. Published by Activision. This game people liked. I will not say that people hated this game because that's just not true. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people had issues with this game because COD 4 came out in 2007 and it totally revolutionized shooters. Before this, people were releasing World War II shooters because it was the norm. Yeah. Call of Duty 4 came out and everyone's like, this is the next generation of shooters. Mm -hmm. Modern, serious, good story, feels like a Hollywood movie. A lot of people thought this was a step back for Call of Duty and I can understand that. But... This game, I think, is so amazing. Definitely the most brutal Call of Duty of all time. People's limbs flying off. Mm-hmm. Um, the campaign itself is incredibly intense. First time seeing the Pacific Theater in Call of Duty. That's cool. Thought that was very cool. Um, pretty great voice acting from Gary Oldman and Kiefer <laughs> Sutherland, Victor Reznov. Um, I think personally, I would make the case that the multiplayer is equivalent in terms of quality to COD 4. Okay. Maps are a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, there's vehicles. No one really used them all that much. But I think the highlight, though, with this game is zombies. Oh, for sure. And I feel like people forget that this is this is the one that introduced it. And personally, I think this is the one that does it best. What's the name of like that first map? The, the Nostrotopia. Nostrotopia. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I so I hopped in again because I had restrictions with my game Me as too. a child. Yeah. My first COD that I really hopped in on, and my favorite COD to this day, is Black Ops. Oh, okay. Uh, and Treyarch usually makes my favorite COD games. Mm-hmm. So I, I did dabble in World at War after the fact. Right. And that map for zombies is really good. I think so, too. I, I played it for the first time in Black Ops, through like the nostalgia map right. package or whatever it was. Yep, yep. But yeah, World at War has a pretty cool campaign from what I've played. Uh, again, Treyarch, I think, does COD best for the most part. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's a interesting poll and yeah, 
I love bl- zombies in Black Ops, but it definitely would be the way it was if we didn't have World of War. Yeah, this was really this. Uh, like I said, this is the one that introduced it, and like the whole map pack idea was pretty much. I mean, Halo did it a lot too, um, but this one particularly really introduced the whole idea of map packs and eventually season passes mm-hmm. because you would have more map multiplayer maps, but everyone really cared about the new zombie map. That yeah, they like Shino Numa. Shino Numa, dude. Oh my god. Or uh, Darius, Darius. Yeah, Darice. the final one. Piggybacking off of what you were talking about, Christian, the campaign in this game is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It features one of my favorite campaign missions in all of Call of Duty, which is the uh, the Reichstag one. It's oh, like yeah. the second to last uh, mission. Just super cool, very cinematic. Uh, just like as a kid playing that, it was like very, I don't know, just got my gears going. Yeah, and this um, was a formative time for us because we're all around the same age. This was like middle school. Yeah. yeah. And this was my first Xbox 360 game. Oh, wow. Yeah, I got my 360 with COD 5. Nice. Good choice. Yeah. Um, Jack, you mentioned that people viewed it as a step back. Yes. For hopping back in time. Yes. After they innovated greatly with Modern Warfare. Mm-hmm. I, it's strange that you bring that up because I feel that way about World War II. COD World War II. Not the actual oh, World War II. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, it's a weird, like, poetics. So. I know. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, like, for the longest time, people were so tired of COD being futuristic, mm-hmm. and I really liked Advanced Warfare, I which was the first uh, the first main current-gen COD. Yeah. It was cool. You got an exosuit. You could jump up and stuff. Great, good campaign. Um, I missed Black Ops 3. Yeah, uh, I did too. And my friend swears by Infinite Warfare, but, I again, I just haven't played it. Same. And World War II was the first COD I bought since Advanced Warfare. Oh, really? And I was kind of, I was, I liked it for what I played of it, but, and I got like, I think 25 levels in multiplayer, but going back to that just felt so strange. Mm. So I can see where people were coming from with what you said. Yeah. And Mm. and it's funny that you mentioned that because there is that trend now where we're going back. Mm -hmm. Of course, uh, Battlefield 4 came out and then Battlefield 1 took it back to World War 1 for the first time, which is pretty cool. I love Battlefield One, and then now Battlefield Five is World War Two. Right. Um, so yeah, there's that trend hopping back and forth mm-hmm. again. Mike, what's your story with COD Five? I know you love this game. Well, I feel like I started playing Call of Duty games with Call of Duty Three. Me too. Yeah, for the Xbox Three Sixty. Mine was PS Two. Yeah, I think it was on the Xbox Three Sixty. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. Uh, but Call of Duty. F- Four was the one that really got me into the genre, mm-hmm. I guess. And I started to like trail off when it comes to Call of Duty like, or Black Ops Two, but um, World at War I feel like just took all the cool like gameplay mechanics, especially since like like when you talk about multiplayer uh, for Call of Duty Four and just like transferred that over to like a really cool time period mm-hmm. that um you know all the other Call of Duties like couldn't do as well yeah. because Call of Duty Four hadn't happened yet right you know? so. I don't know. It's it's a good pick. I really yeah, like it. I love this game, and like the DNA of COD Four, I think is still in this game. Um, oh, for sure. Like yeah. the the engine for COD Four. I mean, I'm not like super techy, but I know that comparing COD Three and COD Four is so different, and you would expect that to be a generational gap between those two, but it's not. It's on the same. Like COD Two, Three, and Four are all in the same generation, and Two and Three look like they're like. Nowadays, it looks like really old, but COD Four still kind of holds up. I feel the old, the older Call of Duty's like definitely like they did all the World War Two stuff. Yeah, but Call of Duty Four was such like a watershed moment for the franchise oh, for that sure. they had to go back to that, and I think they blew it out of the water. 
Ah, I love this movie. Yeah. Yeah, so those are my choices. Uh, do you, does anyone uh, want to go up next? Any particular order? I'm fine with anything. Okay. I mean, I'll go. Okay, Mike, what All do you right. got? So uh, I only have two games here. No honorable mentions. That's fine. But the uh, first one that I picked, um, and now I, I, f- I know what, y- what you feel about this, Jack. Okay. But uh, Fallout New Vegas. Okay. Overshadowed by controversy, not for Fallout New Vegas, but for the following Fallout games, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, so what I like about this is the setting mostly. I think the Mojave Wasteland is like a really cool like area to explore, kind of like harkening back to the older Fallout games of like Fallout One and Two, which like so we're set in the same like general area. Yeah. Um, it came out like right after Fallout Three, like two years after Fallout Three, but um, developed by Obsidian um, and published by Bethesda instead of just like done by Bethesda. Yeah. Um, to, you know, just like on its own, but. Uh, to me, I thought like not only the setting was really cool, but the story was also super captivating. Um, like you're not like the progeny of some like really intelligent, mysterious scientist. Like you're just this regular guy who gets just caught up into this like huge story and has like doesn't want anything to do with it. And I think that's really cool. There are a lot of cool different factions. They all have like such different and distinct histories and like, personalities. Um, uh, I think the gameplay was probably better than Fallout Three. Iron Sights, for one. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's a huge thing for me. Um, I also thought that the combat was just a little bit more balanced. Um, uh, you know, like, when you put points into special, like the strength perception or whatever, mm-hmm. you actually felt that uh, tr- translated into the game a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. In my opinion. Um, but I don't know. It's just a game that really sucked me in. So this was my first Fallout game. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, like I said, I got my 360 around the time of COD 5. It was in 2009. Then a year later, New Vegas came out. And I want to say this might even be my first RPG. And I was a little overwhelmed when I first got into it, just because RPGs are are like that, especially if you've never played one. But to this day, New Vegas is my favorite Fallout. Um, And it's interesting because this game is made by the original creators of Fallout. Right, yeah. It's not a Todd Howard game, like Fallout 3 and Fallout 4. Um, This is... I can't remember their names, but um, who was the original dev team on Fallout? Do you know? I'm not sure, but I know they're the same people that are doing the Outer Worlds right now. Yes. Which I'm very excited for. Yeah, that, I mean, again, I I feel like it's funny because this is a new, Fallout New Vegas was a new generation Interplay? of. Interplay? Interplay, right. Fallout New Vegas, like, or Fallout 3 was the new generation of Fallout. Mm-hmm. But I still feel like the older generation of Fallout did Fallout better with New Vegas than they, than they did with 3. I love 3, but, God, New Vegas is still my favorite, personally. I've, I've just seen a lot of people say the opposite. Yeah. And, and just, like, uh, Fallout 4, when it came that, when that came out in 2015, mm-hmm. that just, like, was met with so much, like, hate on the internet. Yeah. Uh, and, es- and especially Fallout 76. Oh, people hated 76. That when people think of the older Fallout games, they automatically just think about Fallout 3 because it was the first one to do this, like, different... Right. Sort of like world instead of the top down like Fallout One, Fallout Two games. Yeah, but um, it's just I feel like it's overshadowed by that controversy that happens after it was released. That's a good point. Yeah, people really are when they think of Fallout. I feel like nowadays, it's they it kind of has a bad taste in their mouth. Yeah, which is sad. Yeah, and personally, I've never been into Fallout that much. Yeah, you're not I, a big Fallout guy. Yeah, I think it's a cool setting. I'll give it that. I think exploring that retro, uh post post-apocalypse sort mm-hmm. of setting is really cool and unique 
but my brother loves Fallout. It's one of his favorite series ever. And I tried so many times. I've seen him and I know the enjoyment that he gets from that game and from what other people get from that game. And with specifically New Vegas, that was the one that I gave a shot more so than I gave three a shot of. Mm-hmm. And New Vegas, I could see the excellence of the writing and the way they set that tone and establish that world. It's just not a world I like being in. Mm-hmm. Personally, I've always been more of an Elder Scrolls person. Okay. And um, Fallout 4 was actually the one I put the most time into. I probably put like 20 to 25 hours into Fallout 4 before I got sick of it. Yeah. Where did it lose you? Uh, right outside Boston. Oh. Of Diamond City. Okay. I loved that. And then there was just something. It's just that world. I, I know they're going for this, mm-hmm. but it's just so depressing and so dreary. Right. So many shades of brown and gray. And I feel like you can do really beautiful settings in the apocalypse. Yeah. Um, Horizon, for example, I feel like does a really good job. For sure. But yeah, the writing in uh, Obsidian's talent, just from other games I've played of theirs, like KOTOR 2 or uh, the South Park games. Right. I think they're so masterful at their writing and how they tell RPG stories. Mm-hmm. And I can definitely respect that from New Vegas. There's just like, this game is endless. New I feel Vegas, like, yeah, for sure. I feel like every time you play it, like it's just unlike any other time. And the best part about this game and what really differentiates it from Fallout 3, again, I, I prefer New Vegas. There are so many different branching paths in this game that Fallout 3 really didn't have. As much as it is, as much as Fallout Three is about choice, you're really only given two options to a certain situation. To certain situations, That's true. Yeah. This game gives you at least five different options or more. Um, even like with the grand branching narrative, you got Yes Man, Caesar's Legion, um, NCR, uh, Mr. House. If you can, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, you can. Yeah. Yeah. So like, there's different options, and you can Brotherhood of Steel. You can kind of like screw over people as you're going too, and kind of switch sides. Um, there's these smaller factions that you can hook up with and and do stuff with them. It's I don't know. I just think this game does Fallout better than Fallout Three did. I think that there's just like this huge concept of the domino effect in this game too. Mm-hmm. You could do something so early in the game that affects your outcome like at the end in such a drastic way. Mm-hmm. You could do something to a character like an NPC. You can kill someone without thinking about it. Yeah, and just like completely change your trajectory. And I think that's what makes it really special. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm really interested to see Obsidian take that sort of approach to design. And see how they tackle it in Outer Worlds, because from what they've said of everything, and I'm pretty sure it's the same creative directors that did do New Vegas. Yes. It kind of looks the same. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Like, kind of be honest. But I really like the setting. I like how they're taking that similar approach of, like, retro future. And, yeah, the storytelling specifically and the writing and focusing on your decisions and narrative being so vast as opposed to a world being so vast Mm -hmm is something that I personally like, and I'm excited to see them continue that. Yeah, definitely. That was a great choice, Mike. Uh, what else you got for us? All right, so my second choice, uh, big hot take coming mm-hmm. up. Uh, Star Wars Battlefront Two, And, yeah, I'm talking about the new one, okay. the 2017 edition. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I understand why people were upset with this game when it came out at first. Like, EA kind of went back on their word and did a lot of uh, shady stuff. For sure. Uh, but I think, you know... You have to look past that because it's since been like rectified and people are still so salty about it. Yeah. But you have to like, for me, like yeah, I look at it in three ways. Like the story is super cool. Like we rarely ever get to see, and I'm talking about the campaign. We, we rarely ever get to see, uh, you know, like 
the perspective of like the empire, mm-hmm. which is I think is just very cool. Uh, yeah, like it's really short in the campaign or whatever, um, but the characters I think are really interesting. Um, uh, I think the multiplayer is really sweet. Uh, the whole heroes versus villain capital assault, like that's like come on, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Plus, it's like visually just awesome. It's a beautiful game. It's so sure. so pretty. Yeah, um, and like the meat when the music is playing and you're you're like cutting down stormtroopers is like Luke Skywalker. That's just you feel like you're in it. Man. Yeah, Christian, you recently got both the battlefronts. I did so in a bundle. Okay. It was like seven bucks. It was Battlefront One, Battlefront Two, and the Hoth DLC, I think. Okay. So I played Battlefront One when it came out. Mm-hmm. I had some fun with it. I, I also had, had Battlefront. I, yeah. I had some fun with my buddies with it. Mm-hmm. Battlefront Two, I missed again because of the controversy. I was like, eh, do I really need to pick this up now? I have no money in school, <laughs> and yeah. So I picked it up. I've had a blast with it so far. I think I'm like level seventeen as a heavy trooper. And Kylo Ren is around level 11 or something. Mm-hmm. But I really like the multiplayer of this game. Haven't touched on the campaign yet. But it is beautiful. It is inherently Star Wars. And, yeah, part of my enjoyment of this game may be just because it's Star Wars and it looks so pretty and it sounds so good and feels just so right. But no one else is doing that right now. You know, like, this is the example we have for modern Star Wars games. And... Out of the two options we have so far, Battlefront One and Battlefront Two, Battlefront Two is pretty all right. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there are some aspects of this game that I feel like are, are a little shallow, um, that they probably could have like done a little bit more in. And I'm talking mostly about the campaign. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, just like as a Star Wars fan, this is this just pushes every button for me. I forget who said it. Maybe it was Brian Altano, um, in uh, from IGN, but he said this. This series is like putting a bunch of Star Wars Legos in a bin, shaking it up, and like putting your hand in and taking it out and just see what you get. That's cool. And I think that's a great way of describing these mm-hmm. games. Personally, I love dice. I love the Battlefield games. Mm-hmm. And they their hand is obviously in this game. Mm-hmm. I think, for me, the Battlefront games are not in-depth enough, personally. In terms of shooting mechanics, I think it feels good, but I always get really mad, and I've I've only played a little bit on your Xbox, Mike, because um, we live together. So, any I just get really mad, especially like with the different classes. Some characters have more health than others, and like I understand like one's a heavy trooper or whatever, but I don't know that always that always made me mad. It's also a Star Wars game, so they have to make it like super accessible. It is very yeah. accessible, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's an issue that I have with it. I think it's a little too accessible. Yeah. Like some like something like Apex Legends is like really in depth and like really well not well, maybe not in depth, but it's like the mechanics themselves are like difficult you gotta, to master. Difficult to master, right? Easy to get in, difficult to master. I feel like Battlefront doesn't have the difficult to master aspect. It's easy to get in. Mm-hmm. Which is fine, because it is Star Wars and I understand that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with Apex too, it's like you have that progression that isn't tied to your skill it's tied to your appearance yeah battlefront 2 you have like the star card system Mm -hmm. and mike you mentioned earlier that they're still keeping up with this i think two weeks ago they added a new mode called it was capital capital supremacy yeah that mode's really cool that's the coolest thing ever yeah it it really reminds me of the old battlefront it does yeah for sure can you guys describe that like what the mode is yeah so it's like you you're on i think it's just the map of geonosis right now yeah just right now okay. and it's uh the clones versus the droids mm-hmm. 
Um, so you have Battlefront 2 back in the day style. You got these uh, command points, command posts, and you get points from holding them for a certain amount of time. Yeah. Once you hit a certain number of points, you earn a dropship that you can use to go onto the uh, Star Destroyer above the enemy's side of the, the map. Yeah. You get up there. You have two new objectives. Destroy these two cores, take their ship down. But if they wipe out your forces, back on the ground, waging for uh, command posts. So this is a game type I always wanted in a mm. battlefield. But again, this isn't a battlefront. This is really cool. This game could last forever. It lasts for like hours. Yeah, yeah. I think that's awesome. Like I've played this this game mode for like hours. That's the kind of hardcore stuff I want in a in a battlefront game. And yeah. I think they did it. They did it so well with this mode. I think my second or third match took me forty five minutes. That's awesome. Yeah, that's I what I want. It. Yeah, it's 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 really really cool. Yeah. yeah, what I prefer about shooters nowadays is a lot of them, like. I prefer the battlefronts, or sorry, the battlefields personally, um, and like Apex Legends because these games take time. Mm -hmm. I've I've been jumping into COD Four Remastered recently, and like you're in and out, which is fine. But I, I really enjoy like investing time in a match, and like really taking your time. And I think Capital Supremacy is awesome, and also like, it also goes back to what they really wanted to do with, um, Battlefront Three, the, the um, oh yeah the, the like intended. What was it? Pandemic. Pandemic right? game, yeah. uh, where they wanted to go ground, ship, space. Right, and we're still not there yet. Not there yet. That's but what we're I'd close. love to see, but this still feels really good. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a step in the right direction for sure. Yeah, and I just love the amount of detail that they put into these games. Yeah, so. and I can't wait for uh, Jedi Fallen Order. Oh, oh good. yes. Yeah, that'll be a good one. All right, those are good uh, picks, Mike. Thanks. Yeah, good yeah. job. How about you, Christian? Okay, so my honorable mention is one that I have not beaten. Okay. I love this game dearly. And it was my game of the year, the year it released. I'm not sure which year it released. I can't pull that fact for you right mm -hmm. now. But a lot of people, this was a long time coming. A lot of people were anticipating this for a long time. Nobody thought it was going to be good. I love this game. Final Fantasy XV. Oh. So Final Fantasy XV was the first Final Fantasy I got really invested in. Mm -hmm. I've played like a third of seven. I intend to finish it at some point. I really want to play eight. But I've always been familiar with Final Fantasy because of Kingdom Hearts. And that series I love to death. Oh, but yeah. Like, uh, I've always been like kind of outside Final Fantasy. So when 15 was coming up, they said the game opens, actually, with a splash screen that says, A game for newcomers and Final Fantasy fans alike. Oh, all right. Fade into a fantasy based on reality. So it's a really good hopping on point. It's not traditional turn-based Final Fantasy. It is open world to an extent there is a large portion of that game the first half pretty much that is open world the midpoint it shifts to more focused narrow linear aspects there are some open areas but yeah a lot of people were just not into it based on the fact that visually it's this group of friends they're going on a road trip together this is the boy band one right yeah hell yeah uh they're all dressed in black they got a nice black car nice they uh they're bringing prince noctis to his wife to get married mm -hmm. because there's some like political intrigue uh, some king kills Noctis's father in the first like two minutes of the game right after they leave for the road trip to marriage and it spans 10 years with these characters in this one game yes wow. there is a time jump okay which I've not gotten to yet because <laughs> I haven't beaten this game but I have like 35 hours in it wow so I it's a massive game then it is a very deep game mm -hmm. if you want to play it it's also a pretty accessible platinum if, if you're ever interested in playing a Final Fantasy game. Oh, track. you know me and Platinums. Yeah, it's, it's pretty uh, straightforward to get. Okay. But what I love about this game 
is sort of similar to why I love Kingdom Hearts because it's so focused on the friendships. Mm. And these characters you end up caring about, some of them are whiny, some of them are playing into stereotypes. Yeah. Um, but they're all charming in their own unique ways. And I, I, I like that about it. I like that it is a very fast combat system because you can teleport all, all over the place. feels really good to hunt these giant monsters and take them down. Um, there's really cool summons. It's a huge scale for the series, which is normally confined to being in a turn-based system, which, again, I like turn-based games. But seeing the series take this direction, seeing it have a new visual flair to it, going for kind of realism, but really implementing all these fantastical creatures into a new art style and having a new attitude, I really appreciate it. Definitely. Uh, this seems like a very Japanese game. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Like very, very, I mean, it's a Square Enix game, but it's very Konami-esque. It, it's strange because it's so focused on appealing to the West. Mm. Because there's Coleman products, Coleman camping products in this game. Oh, really? There are cup noodles in this game. Like, literal ripped from real life in billboards and stuff. This reminds me of, like, some w- Metal Gear Solid 4 yeah. stuff. But, like, the combat system yeah. is so more Western RPG than Japanese RPG. I think I'd appreciate that. It's real-time combat. You upgrade your weapons. You get better weapons. And they visually change. It's mm-hmm. not just like, oh, yeah, sure. The sword that looks like the sword I've been using forever is a different thing. It's They're all unique item upgrades. It's open-world side quests. Very approachable for a Final Fantasy game mm-hmm. and one that I would recommend. Oh, yeah. Do you have any experience with Final Fantasy? So, no. Mm-hmm. I've never played a Final Fantasy game ever. Mm-hmm. It's like, it seems really daunting to me, just that entire series. When you brought it up here, you're like, oh, Final Fantasy 15, baby. Well, and I was yeah. like, oh, and like, that's there's not even 14 games oh, to the, play. There's more than 14. Yeah. I so think, right? Like Final Fantasy, like 13, too. I have no I idea. I don't understand I really either. Don't yeah. yeah. And with Final Fantasy, it's I like that aspect to it because it's strange, the naming structure, because none of these games are connected. Mm-hmm. They share similar elements in the world like this birds called chocobos they're in all of them yeah um there's gods that are in all of them the planet they're on is called gaia mm-hmm. always that and yeah people like so final fantasy 13 again people did not like for right. the most part uh 14 was an mmo this huge oh, yeah. unique thing has a great support base now everybody who plays that game loves that game mm-hmm. i think people are leaving wow for that game wow but, um, yeah, wow. Uh-huh. Oh, I didn't mean <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, 15, I thought, was a breath of fresh air and a good place to hop on. Yeah. Very cool. So, so you said they're, they're not connected? No. That's really misleading, then. I know. Because, like, 7 is unique to 7. And, like, 13 is unique to 13. And they have their own characters, their own arcs. There's 13. There's 13, too. And I yeah. think there's another 13 game. All right, so let's just say that I picked up Final Fantasy 15. Would I just be, like, completely confused? Or? No, you'd be all in. Really? Yeah, okay. you'd be attached Weird. to these characters with this problem in this world. Who's Cloud? Like, Cloud okay. is only in seven. Oh, really? Yeah, that huh. re- it's like parallel realities, kind of. Okay, interesting. Yeah, well, so I, I do think fifteen is a good place to hop on. That's a good choice. Oh, uh, this is two thousand sixteen, by the way. Okay, thank you yeah. for that. Cool. Very cool. So uh, that w- was my little shout out. Yeah. Um, my next two again. I don't know if you're gonna have anything to say on these because I think they're they're both Nintendo. Okay. <laughs> so Mike, I don't know if you have a Nintendo history. I mean, we'll see. Okay. Yeah, let's see. Uh, the first one I want to shout out is getting a bit of attention again recently mm. because of a announced remake. The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. Ah, okay. Link's Awakening is one of my favorite Zelda games. Yeah. It's in my top ten of all time. Okay. 
Uh, Link's Awakening is great because it came out on the Game Boy, and it's so special and it's so good because of its limitations. Mm-hmm. Jack, you're playing your first Game Boy game right now. I am. Pokemon. Pokemon Blue. Yes. And part of the charm of that game is the fact that they're limited by the hardware. Yeah. And they want to tell this amazing story. Link's Awakening capitalizes on the fact that it is on a restricted hardware. There's not much they can do. So no more Hyrule. We're not in Hyrule. No Zelda in this game. You're you're Link. You're sailing through a cutscene at the beginning of the game. Your ship crashes. You wake up on this island, on Koholnut Island, and it's your job to go through this game, find these instruments around the world, and use them to create the symphony to wake this being known as the Windfish, mm-hmm. and that is the only way you can get back home. I don't want to spoil this game because it is coming to Switch, and I feel like it is a good opportunity for both of you to play a Zelda game yeah. if you haven't. I played the Minish Cap. Okay. Okay. Also, you know, Breath of the Wild one. is the only one I've played. Right. I love it. So this is a, a more traditional Zelda. Okay. It is, and it's strange because saying that it's even re- really weird. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people like this game, but the people that like this game love this game. Why don't people like this game? I think it's because a mix of it being on handheld. Mm. Uh, so, like, oh, why do I need to waste my time on that? I got a Link to the Past. Yeah. I prefer this game to Link to the Past, which is highly regarded was that a snes game yes okay so this came after link to the past Mm -hmm. and it it, the way they tell their story is so unique because of the characters because of the world they build yeah it's so unique it never comes back none of this stuff ever comes back in future zelda games and the way they make you care about these characters these side quests these shopkeepers you have an interaction with all of them it's very Humbling isn't the right word, but it's very homely. Okay. It's comfy, but it still has some weird aspect to it. Mm. It's a very strange game. What number is this in the series? I w- so I think this is, might be like the fifth Zelda game they released. Because okay. there was the original on the NES, right. Zelda 2, Link's Awakening. So this might be the fourth. Okay. But it was early in the series, and it took a lot of chances. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it weirded people out. But I'm sure both of you are familiar with Majora's Mask. And how people love that game. Yes. I know people didn't like the time aspect of it. Yeah. But they love how weird it is. Mm-hmm. This did that first. And it gets overshadowed a lot. By this that. was before Majora's Mask. Yes. Yeah, so this came out, I think, in 94. 93. 93. Yeah. Okay. Is this what you mean when you say when you said, like, it took chances that other yeah. games? Yeah, it did. Because, like, it, it didn't rely on what made the other games so good. It, it took chances. It formed its own identity. It focused on new aspects. But it still felt like Zelda. Like mm-hmm. there's still dungeons, there's still bosses, there's still some carryovers of items and creatures, and you're still playing Link. But your your goal isn't to save the day. Your goal is to survive and get home. And there's no like mechanics that are like that. It's still playing a Zelda game, but the story makes it so unique, and the characters make it really unique. It sounds really personal. It is. It yeah. sounds super isolated for some reason. Yeah, it is, and there's. It, there's a strange aspect to it because it is on the Game Boy and it's so isolated, like you said, Mike. Mm-hmm. But that adds to the charm of it and it makes what you're doing so much more impactful when you finally reach the end. And I cannot say enough good things about that game. Yeah. Uh, you're right. This is the fourth in the series. Fourth, okay. Yep. That's a good one. Yeah. And I'm definitely going to check that remake out. When is it coming out on Switch? It's this year. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know when. 
but I know Brian Altano really freaked out. Oh, I know that. he loves this game to yeah. death. He probably likes it more than I do, but I'm gonna cry when I play this game. So <laughs> I have a. They should do this more, by the way. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Put some of these games on the Switch. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I have a question. Mm -hmm. So this is on the original Game Boy. Mm -hmm. So by the time you were old enough to play video games, yes, that was probably a defunct piece of hardware. Yes, but not? I still owned one. Okay, I owned a color. You owned a color. Mm -hmm. Okay, but you could still play original Game yeah, Boy. Yeah, and they added color, and actually, the Link's oh. Awakening version I had, which was released for Game Boy Color, yeah, had an extra dungeon that oh. was all about the color mechanics. So you must have had this game really early. I was probably like four or five. Wow. And these, like, like you said, I'm playing through Pokemon Blue right now. Mm -hmm. These older games are so daunting to me, and like, I have to text you a few times. Yeah. I have to look up stuff on the internet because I just like don't understand what to do sometimes in mm -hmm. these games. And that's fascinating to me that you and kids like you, um, growing up like that, can like pick up these games and know what's going on. Yeah. So that's cool. I think yeah. there's something to be said about the like difficulty of these games, though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I don't know that that whole challenging aspect is just like mm -hmm. cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Like, if you if you know, like baseline stuff about traditional Zelda, yeah, it's pretty simple to get through, as far as like w where you should be going, uh, what you're supposed to be trying to find, but yeah, the puzzles. I I really think this is an accessible Zelda in a way that it's approachable because similar to what we were talking about with Final Fantasy, it doesn't rest on its laurels of mm -hmm. what made the others great, and yeah, it's a good one. Awesome. Well, thanks for bringing that to the table. And you got your final one coming up. I do. This one is, <laughs> there are very few defenders of this game. Okay. It is one of my favorite games of all time. Mm -hmm. It is. Probably have put the most, not the most hours, but I put a lot of hours into this game as a kid. Donkey Kong 64. Okay. Sometimes notorious for how many collectibles are in this game. <laughs> I love this game to death. Okay. I watched my roommate freshman year play through this game for the first time. He had a great time with it, but he was trying to 100% it, 102% it actually. And by the end, he was going insane. Oh, yeah. What makes this game great is because I think it, visually on the N64, is one of the better looking games. Okay. You have five different Kongs you can play as. Mm. You got Donkey Kong, you got Diddy Kong, you got Tiny Kong, you got Lanky Kong, and you got Chunky Kong. Chunky Kong. Chunky. Everyone's favorite con. Yeah. <laughs> the chunkiest of all the cons. Um, and this game also introduced, I believe, a Funky Kong. Mm -hmm. uh, Scratch that. That's everyone's favorite con. <laughs> uh, Well-known meme. And in this game, potential war profiteer. All right. Because he sells you weapons. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> no. uh, this game is great. It's weird. It's, cre it's creepy in places. It's charming. Yeah. There's, And here's what I have to say about the people that think there's too much in this game. Mm -hmm. As a kid... I would have loved to have eight games like this mm -hmm. where, yeah, I learned these levels. I know these paths. I know these like different secret areas and you just have to go through them five times because each Kong has their own collectibles in each level. Oh, I see. So say there's like 50 regular bananas, 10 banana coins, each color associated with one of the five Kongs. Mm -hmm. Each of them has a set of those in every level. So if you do want to get everything, you got to go through five times each. Okay. And some may say that's repetitive. I say, bang for your buck. Yeah, <laughs> especially as a kid. Yeah, exactly. Because I played it so much. It's so charming. It's like the music is great. Grant Kirkhope, shout out to him. Mm -hmm. David Wise, I believe he also worked on it. Mm -hmm. Really good music. Good character models. Uh, nice follow-up and nice change of pace from Mario 64. Okay. So here's my question about this game. Mm -hmm. 
why is there such a disdain for this game from some people? Because like I feel like maybe when it released, did people like it? I don't know. Because the thing is, this came after Banjo Kazooie. Okay. And people love Banjo Kazooie. Right. Right. I never played Banjo. That's a rare game, right? Yes. Okay. And Rare also made this. Oh. This was their follow up. Okay. So so why do people hate it now? So people like Banjo a lot, and bl- the term collectathon is responsible from these games. Okay. That makes sense. Banjo's a collectathon. Banjo 2 is a collectathon. Mm-hmm. DK64, super collectathon. So I think it's really just because there's too much and people think it's repetitive. I see. And you fight the same bosses twice. Like each boss you fight twice in different areas, but you still fight them twice. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's just so much charm to this. Like the game opens with like a three-minute rap. Oh my god! About each monkey that I want to show you guys after we're done recording. Okay, it's it's crazy. It's such a weird introduction to just slap you in the face. Late nineties, like yeah, we're rapping about monkeys and like coconuts and mm-hmm. their guns Very and their 90s. abilities. Yeah, it introduces you to all of them. You slowly get a Kong each time. I love this game because it's so weird, and I just really like Donkey Kong. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of people, the whole collectathon aspect hits them. I can see that. You mentioned uh, there was a hundred and two percent completion of yeah. this game. What, what's the two percent? So I think you get a extra percent for complete. There's two arcade cabinets in the game that are one is the original Donkey Kong, and one is I believe a game called Astronaut, which was one of Rare's first games. Mm-hmm. If you complete them both to a certain degree, you get a coin from them. To get the hundred two percent, I think you need to beat both of those. Oh, okay. On top of collecting everything. Okay. So it's like two s- other games yeah. within the game. Have you ever 102% of this game? Never in my life. Wow. And the thing is, I, like you, I like getting trophies and platinums. Mm-hmm. I know when it's bad for me. <laughs> so I really think the people that really hate this game are just obsessive about getting that 102% I might, and get I might really frustrated with it. Yeah. I can see me being one of these people. Yeah. Like, I don't need to get every single one of Lanky Kong's bananas. Yeah. I'll get all the DKs. And there's no trophies back then, too. So. No. Doing it for... I think you get a nice little bonus cutscene if you get the 102, but that's it. Okay. And it is a really cool thing called YouTube. You could just look it up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true, exactly. but 1999. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to find. Yeah, I know, true, but I'm saying that's 2019. Yeah, nowadays. <laughs> just give me this game, my Switch. D- now, is there a remake or anything with this game? No, that was the only 3D open world Donkey Kong game. Still? Still. 20 years later. And it pains me. Yeah. Give me another one, please. So they went back to side-scrolling... Um, yeah, and Tropical 2D. Freeze was the most recent one. Yes. One of my favorite games of all time. Oh, oh wasn't that? 2014. Just got re-released last year, I think. Ah. This is the one with Cranky Kong? Yeah. Okay. I remember Reggie coming out in, like, the really bad um, Game Awards that wasn't a Game Awards. Yeah. The VGX. The VGX. And with he, Joel McHale. With Joel McHale. And you can hear Joe McHale, like, peeing because he took his mic to the yeah. bathroom. That was great. Um, yeah, I remember Reggie showing that game off then mm. it looked cool yeah. but i was a nintendo guy back then so yeah so yeah donkey Kong's a good pick. pick yeah that was a really good pick thank you uh well guys i think that'll just about do it very nice uh thank you very much for joining me on the finale of the polygonal sunrise something very different for this program but hope, i appreciate it i hope it was enjoyable yeah it's been a pleasure yeah i will be remiss not to mention pat maroney being the audio engineer here he doesn't have a mic but he's over there making everything happen yeah i'm here here he is i don't know if that probably sound really bad. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, we can follow you on Twitter at the P Moron. Yeah. Is that correct? The yeah. P Moron. The P Moron on Twitter. Yeah. He's making all the podcasts happen on Joy Clicks on mm-hmm. the Amherst Wire. Uh, it's all good stuff. 
Uh, guys, where can we find you on the Twitters and the internets? You can follow me on Twitter at Chris N. Buckley. I have links to everything I work on there as well as youtube.com slash joyclicks where mm-hmm. you can see myself and Jack Yes, pretty frequently. Yes, definitely. Michael? You can follow me on Twitter at Mike P. Connors. Do a lot of other work there, so check it out. Yeah, very cool. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at FascinatedJack. Uh, this show is dead. <laughs> no more episodes. Oh, man. This is it. I believe this is the 11th. I don't really like ending the it. The 11th on. hour. Yeah. I don't like ending it on a, an odd number, but here we are. It's like, it's symmetric. Yeah. So that's that's a plus. That's fair. Yeah. It's not 13. It's not 13. That's true. Um, so yeah, this has been the Polygonal Sunrise. This has been a production of the Amherst Wire. It's been a fun semester. Thank you everyone for joining me on this journey. Uh, thank you for the three of you for joining me on this particular episode. Thanks for having us. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, thank you very much for supporting me this past semester. Goodbye. And that's it for the Polygonal Sunrise. Thank you very much for all of your support over the past semester. I'd especially like to thank Jonathan Kerma and BJ Roach for helping me make this show possible. You can find all the episodes of the show in its own feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Podbean. You can also find the show under the Amherst Wire feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or AmherstWire.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at FascinatedJack. Thank you all very much for listening and have a great summer. The Polygonal Sunrise is a production of the Amherst Wire. Visit AmherstWire.com or find them on social media at AmherstWire. This episode was produced by Pat Maroney. You can follow him on Twitter at ThePMoron. The entertainment slash podcast editor for the Amherst Wire is Jonathan Kerma. You can follow him on Twitter at jkerma 98 My supervisor for the show is BJ Roach. You can follow her on Twitter at BJ underscore Roach. And finally, the music for today's episode is provided by Damon Hatfield. You can support him at damonhatfield.bandcamp.com or find him on iTunes and Spotify.